When I am a guest, I always stay with the lectionary, which isn't the case everywhere, but it gives me an opportunity to never step on the pastor's sermon from the week before or the week after. So selection for this Sunday is uh, John 11, 1 to 45. You do not want to sit through the whole thing. I will be referring to the first uh, uh, 31 verses and even a little bit afterward, but I'll always let you know it's coming. Starting with the 32nd verse. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done. May God bless us in the reading of scripture, which, which is meant for our hope and our salvation. If you had a bulletin in front of you, you would find out the title of the sermon would have been Driving with bad wipers in a downpour. My wife and I have decided that's the metaphor for our lives right now. This is chapter five in my life, as Barbara has shared this morning. I'm now a proprietor, or actually work for one. We have so many problems in my family. My son got out of surgery yesterday successfully after having left medical school to come for his surgery. Now his medical school is closed, like a lot of other schools. It's in the island of Antigua. He couldn't have gotten home anyway. So here he is out in Long Beach. Yes, my wife is still in Long Beach. And here I am here with the other son starting a struggling store in the worst of times. What on earth could I possibly tell you on how to run your lives with all that going on in my life? Well, fortunately, that's not what you're here to hear. You hear how scripture tells us to guide our lives even when there's a downpour. Even when you're driving and you know you're in the right car and you're on the right road, but you can't quite see beyond the short headlights in front of you, you keep on driving because you know you're in the right car. And you know, despite the downpour, 
that where you want to go, you need to keep moving. Fortunately, the people who wrote down the stories of Jesus and the stories of Moses and, and all of our Bible had just not this in mind, but they had the realization that they needed to tell the thing that was true for them to a future generation. Particularly now as John, the fourth gospel writer, is getting to on in years, they're about to lose that generation that walked with Jesus. They need to write this down so that all these stories would be preserved. And this last of Jesus' miracles that he shares with, um, that John shares with us, is meant for us to listen very carefully. There's a show on NPR um, on being, and the uh, host sits in her office in, in Minnesota, and she interviews people all over the world. And there's a special listening that you have to do when you can't see the person in front of you. Fortunately, you've chose the right person for this unusual uh, service. For the last four years in Long Beach, uh, we have a morning devotional. On, and my day, of course, was the best day on Thursdays. And you never get to see the people who you are intending. There are days when you are entirely alone in a, in a room speaking to a camera. But the people who have a, the veterans who have a mental illness uh, and are locked on their ward <clears throat> get permission to use the TV in that hour of the morning, and we hear later on. And those who are confined to their dead at the spinal cord unit, they, we hear their stories later on, and on and on. And occasionally you'll get someone who accidentally turned on the channel dedicated to the chapel. But largely you know that there's someone out there listening. But you never get to know if your jokes work. You never get to know if that wonderful, blessed time in a church, when it's so quiet you can hear the mice. I'm just making that up with the mice, but it's a, a profound silence. I've heard it in between paragraphs sometimes at in a regular church service, but you can always know there's going to be a moment somewhere in a, in a memorial or a funeral service where everyone is profoundly connected to a presence that's different from them there, right there. They're connected with the person they know and the faith they look forward to, and they're in that moment. I have no idea here, although there are some people here, but with just a few, it is hard to know if you've helped people reach that moment. Scripture is our, always part of our, um, of our lives, but particularly on our Lenten journey. I thought I was going to be um, having a children's sermon today. Um, so I had all prepared to talk about Lenten, Lenten journeys and what to pack. Uh, and uh, it doesn't matter what answers the children give. They're always right. And you work it back to what you're going to tell the adults out there anyway. But I had a wonderful little thing to share with them, so I should share with you. Of course you pack a Bible, but there are times that you don't have a Bible, so you can always take hope. First of all, you take the hymns of the church, and I mean the hymns, the ones you see in the, the bulletins, not just five, five words repeated 75 times, although that has its own place, but the hymns tell us prayers of another generation, times they were in a car with wipers that just wouldn't work, but they kept on moving on. A time uh, where... Um, that's the H. The O is openness to the scripture. When you're listening to the scripture um, in, that you can remember, the ones that you might have memorized, listen to them again. And listen to them again to see what they mean in the context you are right now. And then there's the people. You would have the people around you. 
those wonderful stories of the people who have endured other plagues in, in our times and other wars and have endured them and have a proud inter, uh, integrity of faith that is obvious in their presence. A large church gathering has that kind of resource. And finally, the, um, the energy, whether it's uh, um, uh, ballet or baseball, meaningless energy running around is, is in, of any use to anyone. But focused energy, knowing that it isn't time to panic, but it's time to put your resources into, if you can do nothing else, connecting to a shut-in, connecting to uh, a neighbor who you know can't do anything else, Internet, connect with Facebook, but just see if you can find a human voice to connect with someone. In these times where we should respect the illness that is among us, like other generations of Christians and other plagues, but with the knowledge now of how to address our, our, our responsible Christian walk with the realities around us. I would have worked that in somehow. To the scripture then. There was a whole section before Jesus arrived at the tomb. A time when, when um, as it starts in, in the first verse, Mary and Martha know that there's a big problem and they know that um, Jesus would want to be there. So they sent word to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. The disciples uh, resisted when Jesus said that he planned to go there and they said, just a short while away, they were going to stone you. Why would we be going back there? But Thomas, now Thomas gets a bad rap. Besides being, me being his namesake, he gets a bad rap. The only time churches hear about Thomas is the week after Easter. I know this because we itinerant preachers get invited to the week after Easter in almost every year of my chaplain life. I got invited several times for the same Sunday, the week after Easter. And that is the, in the lectionary, doubting Thomas. Well. Thomas, when he hears about this, knows the disciples are right. This is a bad news story going back to Jerusalem. This is not going, uh, and by the way, Bethany is two, two miles from um, Jerusalem, so it's going back to the, to the area of uh, where trouble was. And he knows. Thomas, another name for Thomas is twin. And Thomas twins himself to Jesus in this moment, knowing that it's going to have a bad outcome, and he says, to his fellow disciples, well, let's go die with him anyway. This is the same guy who wasn't there with the crowd, that what the, the disciples who saw Jesus in the resurrection. And there was one of the miracles of the Bible that is never pointed out, by the way. Eleven, um, ten disciples were gathered together and Jesus appeared with them after Easter. And it was a marvelous moment. Thomas wasn't there. Where was Thomas? Maybe he was daring to go outside to find some food. Maybe he didn't really want to be with the other ten who were always off in one direction and he was off in another. But when he came back, it says in the next week's lectionary, they were all together again. And Thomas was with them. Could you imagine what it would be like to be with ten church people who saw something you didn't see? Yet in their surety and Thomas in his doubt, they found a way to include this oddball with them for a week without alienating him, without blaming him, without saying he had the wrong uh, theology, but knowing that he was part of them and that, that welcome was there even though he didn't fit in anymore. 
What better example of how the church ought to work? And we call him Doubting Thomas. One thing we know is that he, Lazarus, was dead. Mary attested this by the stench. Without getting into too much, too much, I had one tour in the Air Force at the Doverport Mortuary. This is not my most unusual service. My most unusual service was on Easter morning. At 8 o'clock, those fallen who had came, come home the night before get ready for everyone gathers around and the doors come up and the day's work begins. So we had a service, an Easter sunrise service at 7.30, and it began in a mortuary. Well, the first line of that sermon was, the first Easter began in a mortuary. There were no plans for lilies. There were no plans for, for uh, choirs. There was no plan except to respect the body of our tragically fallen friend. There is action before Lazarus is raised. Out of the love for Jesus, when Jesus finally does come, it must have taken great courage to face Jesus and, and offer that soft criticism. We sent, we sent word for you, and if you had come, if you had come and didn't dawdle, he would, you could have stopped the situation. But you didn't come, is the part they didn't say. You didn't come when we asked you to. You could have fixed the situation. But, and, and, and when they called Mary, it was the same story. It, repeating the words of, of her sister, if you had come. Their brother is dead. They are weeping. The people who are with Mary are weeping. And the first thing Jesus does, the first thing he does is join them in their grief, where they are. Yes, he's got plans. He had plans from the time he didn't come uh, on the first word. He had a plan, but they could not experience it because the reality of the death was overwhelming them. I never have a sermon without two people in the room. One of them is the hardest veteran I've ever known to make sure that there's nothing I'm going to say who's going to say, Chaplain, you're full of it. The other person is Linda Mallet Jones. Wherever I go, I have, to can't, I, I, have to go, I have to know that she'll be in the car when we go home. So she is here today, too. I don't know if she's online, but it's three-hour difference. I doubt it. Um, so there isn't anything I'm going to say that I can't live with myself. She, being an RN, knows about death, and one of the incidents in her life was being a night nurse, and one of her patients had, um, had coded, and they called the team and came. They worked 20 minutes, and they pronounced the death. She and another nurse got together and started to do the next thing nurses do to um, move the body off the floor. And her friend said to her, Linda, I think we have a purse, a, cur a pulse. So they call the team. Now, you can imagine what it's like to call a professional team who are now finally getting back to bed on their 72-hour shift, that who, something they had professionally said, yes, we know life and we know death, and this was death, and this nurse is trying to tell me to say that they have life. 
but she got them back. They got the patient back, and it was a Jewish patient. She stayed alive for the high, high holiday, holidays. She got to meet her grandchildren one last time to say goodbye, and then she did die. Oh, that's a spoiler alert. Lazarus is going to die again. He's just not that part, that's not part of our scripture. It is said that he, it, he became a bishop. Um, it's not sure whether he was in Cyprus or, or France. Both areas claim to have his, parts of his body, um, and both claim to have him bishop. It could have been both, but the record isn't very clear. It is said that he never smiled again, because in his time away, he saw the fallen who were not saved, and he worried about them all his life. It is also said he once saw someone stealing a pot, and he did make a joke to his friend saying, ah, oh, look, the clay steals the clay. But I am getting distracted now. Normally I have some people going to sleep by me, and that helps me move me along. Jesus had already declared that this story was not going to end in death. But this was, uh, this was going to be an ending. For all involved, it was going to be something different in their life. Our journey in Lent gives us a chance for a new beginning. Our church year gives us different experiences, but here in Lent, we have a chance to finally say, we're not going to deny that death has a real place in our lives. Even in this situation where everyone knew that there was no hope, Jesus is moving toward the tomb. Jesus is shouting, can all can hear. Jesus is shouting loud enough to wake the dead and maybe loud enough to wake us. The disciples are sure that the cost-benefit ratio of being involved in this is too risky to do. Thomas is sure, but his twinned duty to Jesus made him go. Mary and Martha know that Jesus could have done something, but they're just as sure that Jesus dawdled and that their brother rots. The crowd is sure that Jesus' lateness ended tragically for Lazarus. But Lazarus walks. Jesus tells them to remove the grave clothes and let him go. And John remembers us, remembers for us, about the power and presence in that moment of being there for the new life of his dear friend seeing that response in the crowd, and the crowd did many things for it. And the thing it gives us when we listen over the, over the time, by the virtue of the love of Jesus, we can become living people. We are dead to a lot in life. We are dead to people we put on the margins of things and find, find that somehow they don't belong to us and our responsibility. We've given up on situations which um, we, we call dead. But by virtue of the love of Jesus, we can surrender ourselves to those living possibilities, however remote. And by the virtue of Jesus' love in us, we can make other people living people, too. Because of love, Jesus enters into grief. 
So the question to us, us the question to us is, do we entomb ourselves or through community, despite webs of, of history which may, might want us to sing an old tune, do we listen to the living presence of Jesus around us? There are legacies that, can, that we can listen to over the decades that can bring alive stories of hope in the worst of, of circumstances. I love this old uh, song that, uh, because I listen to a lot of music, but comes along on, on one of the, uh, the, the people um, who's in the store is, there may be trouble ahead, but let's face the music and dance. That the reality of the world around us has many terrors in it, but in the energy of this moment, we can look to Jesus' love. Do we hear that liberating shout loud enough to wake the dead and even us? Do we think it's too late to seek the hand of Jesus? In the VA, I have met people like that. Oh, chaplain, the church gave up on me long ago. They kicked me out. They don't want me back anymore. I hear that side of the story. And sometimes, in hearing their story, the church has made it easy for them to be away. In fact, it seems like this person provided a great service to puff up the people of that church who were in their minds, rightfully putting the person on the margin in that child of Jesus who never could go back to that place again with those living legacies of faith that could have upheld him in the biggest of temptations now is alone and not connected to the body of Christ. Well, they'd seen a miracle. What happens after a miracle? Well, some people are convinced that it's, a tr that it's a trick. Some attach this to their agenda. You can see them selling t-shirts of Lazarus in the corners or whatever their agenda was, taking this event and making it an event that they can sell snake oil for. You'll see that in the, this, um, in, you'll, you can see the two things combined regularly in the media of hucksters selling something or claiming something about this real uh, event, this real plague among us, and somehow making it to their profit. Watch for those people. They were there after this event. They certainly are among us now. Some honestly went to their reliable authorities, not knowing that their reliable authorities had something to lose in this, in, in this power of Jesus among them. In fact, there was a real fear in that power, because if Jesus became too much, the Romans would shuffle the deck, and anybody with something would, would lose it all. But in John chapter 12, we have Lazarus at dinner. In a, in a gathering to honor Jesus, Lazarus is there. We do, he doesn't say anything. It just that we, it says that he's there at the table. But now, he too is a marked man. And so is anyone who speaks for Jesus or has the power of Jesus in their, in their life that shows a, a, a visible difference. Because there is a, a, a jealousy, a, um, a resistance to, to love when someone wants to guard the hurts of their life by saying what is happening to you is odd. 
And this, this thing that you're talking about is outside the traditions of our, of our history. And this thing that you, that you speak of, this Jesus, doesn't fit in here, and you don't fit in here anymore. John's community wrote down this particular story, this gospel, so that the, the people born after these events would have a living history to, to read and be inspired about. That becomes us. We don't even have them anymore. We have century after century of the, of the stories of the church and how people have worked it out in their own lives. They wrote it down so future generations, us, would come out of the tomb in difficult times. That future generation, us, that no matter how much the downpour, you're in the car. Stay in the car, but don't just stay in the car. Find out if anyone's fallen out of the back seat. Find out where you, in the, in the living of your days, can find ways to link to those you might have thought odd. Something new can happen to you this Lenten journey. You can, instead of giving up chocolates or something else, you can give up those hatreds that you have held on to, no matter how good they feel, and see if there's a deadness in you that can come alive this Lenten season, so that even though it might begin in a morgue on Easter Sunday, it will be the new life that Jesus does intend for you. Even though it looks like a downpour, keep driving on. Let us pray. Lord, bless us and keep us that we might know in the living of our days that we are yours. Heal the deadness inside us. Open our eyes to those around us that we might see those whom you love and that you might convert us into those who reach out to them. Thank you for joining us in our grief. Help us to join those who grieve this day. Amen.